Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Up until this point, we have spoken about bilingualisms with speakers of Spanish, Arabic, and Japanese. Last week, we discussed identity as it relates to the Afro-Latinx community. Today, we explore a debate that, like a pendulum, swings back and forth every few years. Ave, African American Vernacular English, also known as Black Vernacular English or Ebonics, is it a language? And if yes, do its speakers typically African Americans need ESL or English as a second language to be supported in school? The definition of language in the dictionary is the method of human communication, either spoken or written consisting of the use of words in a structured and conventional way. How we speak and what we speak and how it defines us for ourselves and others is an experience we can all relate to. Today we will hear from D. Equo King, the Assistant to the Vice President for Student Affairs for Intellectual Engagement, Equity and Inclusion at SUNY Albany. Mr. King is an adjunct professor of the African Studies Department, as well as an African storyteller and motivational speaker. He talks with us about using the first language of African Americans to engage, excite, and connect. Equo, I want to thank yeah. you for joining us today. Let me start off before we even begin by saying, I know that this topic that I'm asking you to speak with me about for these few minutes really could be a semester or a year long course. And it's actually part of a course that you teach. Can you define for our listeners, black vernacular English, and then really discuss the position of black vernacular English within this container of bilingualism in America? What is black vernacular English? One, there's, first of all, I gotta start by saying there's a lot of controversy around it. Really, and you probably you might remember that in the '90s there was a whole lot of controversy around this old Oakland. They're trying to teach Black vernacular English. That's not even real English. Black vernacular English, or African American vernacular English, or African American language, or most commonly people here, Ebonics is actually. And I'll share what I believe it is. I believe it to be a language. I believe it to be a language that is the first language for millions of African Americans. If formally academics and those who codify language want to put it in certain strict boundaries, they would call it either a dialect or a creole, depending on what they believe the history of it is. Right? So some believe that it's a dialect, that Black folks are living in the United States, they're around European heritage Americans, but because of the segregation of the two, they're developing different dialects, not unlike how the British have a different dialect from from Americans with English. Others believe that it's actually a Creole, right? And so that it was a pigeon. This is now linguistic stuff, so very 
boring unless you're interested in linguistics. Uh, all of our listeners are interested in language. Since first got here, they didn't speak English and they were primarily speaking to one another. So they created a pidgin language that's a connection, of, a collaboration of African languages and words and tonal structures and nonverbals. And then also heavily influenced by English as well. Right, a Creole. That pidgin became a Creole. And so it's marred. When we're talking about African-American vernacular English, it's marred with stigma, right? People will say you're speaking bad English, that sort of thing. But it is, a, it is a, at the minimum, it's a dialect of Creole. And at the maximum, it's a full-fledged language that millions of African-Americans speak, but not all African-Americans speak. Right. And some speakers are, are not even African heritage people. Which truly isn't surprising because anyone can learn to speak another language, even if it isn't their first or home language. And I'm curious, Equo, what do you feel about including it as part of this conversation that we have here on this show about being bilingual in America? I think it's right. I think it's really important. I mean, here's, here's the thing. There's researcher Tara J. Yoso, who she's written a lot of great things. She does research in the CRT world, critical race theory area. And she wrote a piece called Whose Culture Has Capital? And in that, she talks about six types of capital. That, and she's really speaking from with a Latino reference. Right? She's a Chicana from the West Coast. And so she speaks about linguistic capital, which I think is really important for all of our bilingual um, listeners or omniglots, right? That your language, you bring this language to the stage that we call higher education. And it's seen by some as a barrier when, how could that possibly be a barrier when you actually have an extra communication tool in your toolbox that you speak multiple languages? And so, that is the same with Avej, that I, I remember growing up, I really thrived because I understood what I call white English, right? Because I, I try to be equal. We're going to call it black English. I don't want to talk about the, the English that white folks speak. I'm not going to say general English and then make Avej extra thing on the side. But if you speak general American English in school, you're, you're celebrated by the educators, at least when I was growing up in the South Bronx, I was celebrated. Oh, you're so smart. Listen to him. See how he does it. Go ahead, Mr. King. Say that again. Right? I was celebrated. But once I stepped outside of those halls, if I could not speak Black vernacular English, not that I would be chased home. That's, that's great in the movies. It makes a good scene in the movies. You're kind of set aside. Right? You're not maybe you're not one of us. And sometimes people mistakenly think that you're acting white. And that's where some of that comes from. But the reality is you're just not speaking our language. And if we're talking about Spanish speaking bilingual family members, you can see that as I think some Latinos who don't speak Spanish and we know some 25% don't. Right. They experience that same thing. If you understand that experience, then you understand the experience of not truly embracing or being taught not to embrace Black vernacular English as your first language. So then, do you see Ave mm -hmm. as significant in regards to the Black Lives Matters movement right now? And so there's no simple answer to that. Um, I hope that the Black Lives Matter movement 
is about communicating to many different people. Whoever you're communicating with, you need to be able to communicate in their language, right? And so, right? And so, if the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to speak to um, black people, not all black folks, but if you're trying to speak to black people who speak Ave, then you're going to need to to understand it and use that language. Not everybody in Black Lives Matter movement is fluent in black vernacular English. So we have to understand that. Some, and I know some people who are involved, right? Some have grown up in primarily white areas, but they too understand that Black Lives Matter and they felt the sting of racism and oppression. Some have grown up in black and Latino areas in, the, in New York City or in the outskirts of New York City. And you learn how to speak the language of your community, typically, right? It's immersion 101. Right, so it's equally important if you understand movements, it's equally important that you're also speaking other languages as well. For example, Afro-Latinos, they're part of the Black Lives Movement, right? They should be, and they may not, even though I think you see similar connections in the languages, the types of Spanish, like Spanglish, people would say that's being yeah. spoken by Dominicans and um, Quisqueanos and Boricanos um, in New York City as well. Absolutely. I'm thinking about how when I was studying for my master's and there was this whole conversation about AVE and should those students receive English as a second language services? What about children who come from Jamaica? How are we handling that? Mm -hmm. And as you said, the most important thing is having more than one language and mm -hmm. one more than one way to connect with others. Yeah. And I think that as we continue to try and elevate the conversation about bilingualism and this idea that there is no simple answer to what language may be, right? Is it tied to culture? Is it a pigeon? The most important thing is that we, we challenge ourselves and yeah. we see it as a tool to connect uh, on a human level, which is more important than anything else. So, and, you know, uh, you could talk about the linguistic differences and similarities with other full-blown accepted languages. I like to talk about tonal. There's the, a really clear tonal differences with African-American vernacular English. I could say okay four, five, six different ways, and it means four, five, six different things. I do it every year in the class, right? I say, tell me, say okay to me, meaning you're not going to do it. And everybody will say, okay, okay. And they say, okay, like you're really, really excited. They're like, okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I got that. Say, okay, like you ready to fight. Okay. Right? Because those different, slight different ways of okay. But we know stenographers and courts have actually written down what someone said and it was interpreted by lawyers and, and whoever reading those court records as being one thing when the witness later says, that's not what I meant. Well, why did you say okay? If we want to really begin to be more inclusive, even linguistically, we will allow people to self-identify how they wish to speak when they're in their communities and then assist them by using that language. We don't have to teach any black folks how to speak, you know, black vernacular English, right? But you can certainly use what we know to assist the young in learning how to speak general American English or white English. If you're talking about as an educator, we'll begin to see excitement in terms of learning, you know, American English, general American English, and you might actually see 
a more culturally competent teaching core. You know, they learn to value that. That's something we can look forward to, right? Using it as a bridge mm-hmm. on a variety of levels. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you for speaking with me and for continuing to really add to the conversation at the higher education level. And hopefully you'll come back again and, and talk with us uh, about one of our other coming topics. So thank, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to, to coming back anytime. D. Echo King reminds us that there is controversy around this topic still and that Ave is a language. Some believe it to be a dialect. Others believe it's a pidgin language becoming Creole. More importantly, its benefit for us is to realize that this is another language that we can have in our toolbox. Rightfully so, people learn to speak the language and tones of their community. That makes sense, and it's necessary for the good of the community. Andrew Biggs, born and raised in New York City on the Lower East Side, and Melissa Ebanks, an Afro-Latina New York native, have been friends for over 25 years and share similar experiences despite having traveled very different life paths. Let's listen in as they speak their beauty about code switching, microaggressions, and the comfort of language. I want to thank both of you, Melissa and Andrew, for being here today and sharing with our listeners a little bit about your own experiences. And I know we had heard Equo King talk about this idea of Black vernacular English being considered by some a language and others more of a Creole. And I'm just curious about how you see your ability to, to code switch, to go back and forth as a bridge, as a barrier, and, and how so? I think it's definitely a bridge because to be able to to switch back and forth as say, I'm around the way with my friends, it's so comforting to be able to communicate with them on a level because when you're from around the way, that usually means that you're poor, right? Mm -hmm. I can relate to anybody from any hood just by that black vernacular English. It definitely brings comfort in for, for, for me and different people to be able to converse with people who are from different places, but immediately you'll know where they're from if you can relate to them or they can relate to you. That's true. I find, I mean, I think it's been vital for survival advancement in my professional career. I think if I wasn't able to switch back and forth and code switch between what you say around your friends, your family, your relatives in your neighborhood versus what you say in the boardroom or in a meeting, but it's, it's, sometimes it can be hard because it's your identity too. So when, you're, when you spend so much of your time code switching, it's a bridge to be able to speak to a myriad of different people. But when you are kind of stuck in one longer than the other, it can also be a barrier because you find yourself kind of adjusting all the time. So where, where is your identity start and where does all of this code switching and not being who you really authentically are begin? like end so there's so much difference there's like and it's nuanced too so it's like sometimes you'll think of a word to say but you know the people that you're talking to will have no idea but on the flip side when you're around other black people other hispanic people you know that they'll know exactly what you mean so you can say something and not say it in front of a group of people (laughs) absolutely it's it's situational and, and very nuanced and you're gonna know immediately 
if you know somebody doesn't relate to that language because like you said you're you're struggling to find mm -hmm. a word to fit into that particular situation yep exactly so it definitely serves as a hindrance at time because some people who don't know people like myself who they can't relate to they will perceive a person using that language of being of lower intelligence or, or mm -hmm. lower grade level right so where people will make a judgment mm -hmm. about you based on the way you're speaking that's correct yes and it can go both ways because i can have somebody discriminating against me who is of you know caucasian and then i could also have my own discriminating against me because they feel like if you speak too intelligently you're you know you're you're crossing into another race in how they speak, which is, is totally not the truth because anybody can speak intelligently and anybody can speak like trash. Right. That's true. And it's, I mean, you know, I've been called a sellout before. I've been called like, you know, like, oh, you think that you're white. And it's like, no, I think that my mother raised me to speak properly because she knew that life is rough out there. And that, you know, people judge you based on the way that you speak, the way that you look. So you're already going in black and, not, and you're, now you're going and, in. Immediately. So Period. some people don't know black people, as, right. I, as I was just saying. So automatically they're stereotyping you as that person they saw on the train or the supermarket or they, or they saw on TV. Oh, yeah. I've. I've, I've had to tell bosses that say telling me that I'm articulate is not a compliment because it has because it's it's the history of it is biased in and of itself because what's the expectation that I would be inarticulate it's to, to the point of like not being he heard or seen it's never comfortable in those situations especially in a corporate environment it's never been comfortable for me it, ha it wasn't comfortable for me in school either to Suze's early point about me being like one of the only in a lot of my classes where I have, but then I have a whole family of people in the same high school at me, as me that are treated very differently than I am because I was seen as one of the quote unquote good ones because of my connection with language and the way that I have used it to propel me forward. They just chose not to, that, they, that was their choice. They didn't have to make the same choices that I did, but there's definite differences in the way we were treated. Absolutely. It's a double-edged sword because in one aspect, coming in as black, I, have to, I know I have to be 100% better than the next man at, at all times. Yep. Don't be too much, be, but don't be just enough. Be somewhere in the magic unicorn middle that we never know where that litmus is. Like We don't know what the bar or the test is for it because it changes every time. Language is such a big part of both of your lives. In addition to both of you being avid readers, and then Misty, like I said, you know, you as a Honduran American and Andrew and thinking about, you know, where you grew up on the Lower East Side, where you heard Spanish and Chinese spoken regularly. There's a lot of commentary lately on linguistic capital. And I wonder how you would describe your relationship with language. I mean, I would say I've always had a love affair with talking. <laughs> Just ask my mom. <laughs> um, and I will ask the questions out of anything. It, it helps you explore. So it's another way to discover the world around you through language. 
Um, and I, I also admire other cultures and other languages. So whenever I'm going to a new place, like when I went to Thailand many, many years ago, I studied up on the local language and to get like key phrases, right? Because I believe that it shows respect to the place that you're visiting. I don't just assume that people are going to speak English. I like to speak to people in what they're comfortable in as well. I'll bring it back to the beginning. I said it, it brings me comfort to be able to speak to my people in the language that I grew up in. But it brings me back to, you know, my home and my mother and we, we didn't have a lot, but, you know, the language was, was everywhere, whether it, it was being coming from our home, the music, the next door neighbor's language, upstairs, downstairs, out the window, because my neighborhood was so diverse, like you said, Chinatown, the Italians over here. So everybody spoke their own language and had their own little subcultures brings me a great comfort show. Yeah, that's a great point. Like language, it's unifying too, One because minute. it establishes like, this is my, these are my people, this is my family. And music is a big part of that, for sure. Because you forget, like I grew up listening to all kinds of music. Spanish music, reggae, rap, like all, and there's, like and there's all, those, all in one neighborhood. Yes. Yeah. And there's a unique language to all of those different types of music too. Absolutely. And like I said, the different subcultures in New York and just growing up in, in New York, oh, yeah. well, you could be in five or six different types of parties where they were playing different music. And, you know, we could all vibe to, you know, we vibe to each other's music all the time. What I heard from both of you is that language is a unifier and mm -hmm. it is a bridge. And that's one common theme I can definitely see as I think back to the different episodes. We constantly hear about how language provides comfort and it can help to, to unite. Despite what we hear oftentimes in the media, we can come together because language is the strongest tool that we have for, I think, moving forward as a people. I want to thank both of you for taking time and being so thoughtful about what to share with our audience. My pleasure. My pleasure too. Thanks for having us. From Andrew and Melissa's experiences, we learn that language can be a bridge and a unifying force. Language brings comfort and an opportunity for connectivity. Code switching, the ability to flip back and forth between languages is a gift and a challenge. Yet there is still so much judgment and discrimination. Can we find balance? Can we find the unicorn middle? From the classroom to the courtroom, the place of African-American vernacular English is hotly debated. What we didn't know is that Ave has a robust president in the history of the English language, established during the first century of the British colonization of America. It is a language, and language is another way to discover the world. It brings comfort, and it creates bridges that leave an immense impact. Language is a unifier. It is the strongest tool that we have, and to learn a language is to have one more window from which to look at the world. What a powerful way to create beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share by sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast. You are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support.
follow us, like us, share us. We'll close this segment with a poem from spoken word artist Jamal St. John. Disregard everything you've ever heard about the N-word. I used to think the worst thing anybody could ever call me was articulate. Because black folk ain't supposed to speak with addiction so immaculate and they just might think you trying to be white talking like that. Can't be pro-black and pro-noun. Homeboy, I think you need to learn how to smarten up and dumb down. See, this is us. Trying to master language with a slave mentality. Confused and forced to choose between bastardized English and standardized anguish. This belief shaped by old masses' disbelief in our verbal dexterity. And if the greatest enemy of language is insincerity, then I'm so sincere. I'm so sincere with these words because for so long I was told that I couldn't speak the language due to my lips possessing a certain Negroid thickness. Now I'm a victim of the ebonic plague and there's no known cure for the sickness. Told by black middle class and English class to show some class and talk proper. The English patient who's tired of having his language doctored. Standing trial in the court of public opinion. Dark skinned it defendant. Seen as guilty until proven eloquent. Tongue tied up in litigation. As memories of the plantation keep interrupting my conversations. Still suffering the backlash from when I first got my backlash. See, first they stole our drums, then forced us to hold our tongues, afraid of the insurrection in our inflection, calling our speech revolting, so as to keep us from revolting. And before you can dismiss this poem as the rantings of an insecure ego, bear in mind that I've seen old notices for runaway slaves that read, Caution speaks relatively good English for a Negro. So now, now my own people seek to make my life miserable just because I often use words that contain more than one syllable and no, I'm not what you'd call an Oreo, suffering from some sort of identity crisis. And when I talk, you'll never hear me try to pronounce every single word like this. I know that the rules regarding grammar and syntax are slightly more relaxed when we kick it. And just because they call our English broke, don't mean we got to fix it. But as soon as white folks started telling me that I speak well, I had to start living my life on the DL. Because black folk tend to view proper English as an alternative lifestyle. Had me thinking... thinking that enunciation was an abomination in the eyes of God. Forgive me, Father, for I have conjugated. And if, and as much, and as much as I hated to break the news to my people, chose to out myself rather than doubt myself, came out of the closet and told the whole damn world, yeah, I'm by dialectal. Meaning, meaning I speak.
speak perfect jive and job interview. So not only do I converse, but I conversate too. As familiar with the words on the SAT. <laughs>